Hello and welcome to the First Prez Mommy podcast, the show for people on the go, who like to stay in tune with the conversations at our church. Today, Pastor Clint Tolbert continues the story in Genesis 18, 1-15 and Chapter 21, 1-7. When God promises a son to Sarah, she laughs with disbelief. Her indignant laughter turns to joy, when God graciously fulfills his promise and Isaac is born. Let's hear today's message. I hope you did open uh, to the book of Genesis. If you haven't yet, I'd encourage you to do so now. We'll spend most of our time looking at that passage in chapter 18 and finish with that passage we just heard read in in chapter 21. If you uh, were listening closely, you were able to easily note the theme of laughter that runs through the passage as we've just heard it read. Sarah's listening in on the divine promise given to Abraham of a son a year from then, and she cynically laughs. Later on, a year later, as we read in in chapter 21, when the baby does come, she laughs again, and not just she, but, but everyone who's with her in great celebration and joy. Laughter is so much a theme in this story that that Sarah names her son Isaac, which means he laughs. It's easy to note the theme of laughter in this story. What's more difficult and important, however, is to understand why Sarah laughs. What does laughter communicate? What did it mean for her? What does it mean for you and I? What's the place of laughter in in our life. I want you to think about the last time that you really laughed. I mean, deeply. This, this isn't a chuckle at your favorite Seinfeld episode, right? Not that. It's not just a, a little laughter because a friend was being silly. When was the last time? Do you remember a time when you were laughing so much it began to hurt in your midsection, you wanted to stop because it hurt, but you just couldn't. You were laughing so hard. You remember, it may have been the same time. You, your laughter caused tears. Remember a time like that? I was uh, studying for this uh, sermon and came across a, a video. It was produced by uh, PBS. And I want to show you a little clip from it. The video suggests to us that that researchers have found that uh, uh, in in a surprising way, laughter most often has very little to do with humor. That most of the time, laughter communicates something much different than we found something funny. I'm not going to put the whole clip in front of you, but just a small portion, less than one minute, because I want you to hear this for yourself. It's a clip that uh, oddly begins with rats being tickled. So if you wonder, what is that? They're tickling rats, and then you'll hear, then you'll hear why I'm putting this in front of you. Let's play that video. In animals, sometimes it's associated with tickling, sometimes with play, but laughing is almost always social. Same goes for us. 
Humans laugh for a number of reasons, but most of the time it has nothing to do with funny business. Researchers like Robert Provine have found after listening to hundreds of people laugh in social situations, less than one in five chuckles are in response to humor. And when a joke is involved, the person telling it is far more likely to be the one laughing. We're also 30 times more likely to laugh with other people around than if we're alone. If laughter is a form of communication, then what are we trying to say? Well, we do it to communicate understanding, to show we like and accept others, to diffuse awkward situations, and yes, sometimes even to be mean. <laughs> if you're not aware, that's a Simpson clip at the end. Again, one of my favorite shows. Did you hear what he said? Only one out of five times does laughter have anything to do with humor. And even in those occasions, it's most often the person telling the joke that's laughing, not the one who hear it. That's certainly true in my house, right? What's being communicated the other four out of five times? And when I asked you to think about the last time you laughed, I don't know what came into your mind, but for me, when, when I think about that, my times of deepest laughter have come at, in the midst of deep, deep grief. They've come when I've been gathered with, with family and friends and we've just lost someone. We're hurting. And sometimes we tell stories and sometimes those stories lead to laughter. You know what I mean? Other times they come at and moments of great fear. I remember moments, especially with my wife Stacy, and, 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 and we found something out about the kids that, that really scared us, and we thought, oh my goodness, what is happening? And in our fear, we found ourselves laughing. I think we see something similar in the text this morning. Sarah's laughing, not because she finds anything humorous, but because she's trying to express something that is deep within her. Laughter reveals what we truly believe in any given moment and then enables us to enter into that moment more deeply. That we might come into greater relationship with God. That's what I want you to see for Sarah and it's what I hope for all of us as God speaks into our life as well. So let's pause once more and pray and then look deeply at this passage. Allow it to speak to our lives. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of your word. We pray that you would speak to us through your word. Help us to not simply understand it, but to, but, but to hear your voice calling to us through Sarah's life. That as we identify with her, you might identify with us. And that we might take hold of you and your promise with greater faith and confidence. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. In order to understand Sarah's laughter, you have to kind of know her story in a, in a fuller sense than what we just got right there. So that we can all uh, journey together here, let me pause one more time and just Remind us of what we're doing. Last week, we began uh, a new journey through the Scripture. We started with the account of creation, and each week we'll be reading a different part of God's story. 
so that over nine months, by the end of May, uh, we will come to the moment we are in now, that is the age of the church. The goal is to understand God's story. Now that might seem like a long time, but really, when you think about trying to put the story in this book into nine months, it means we have to skip over a lot. And so let me put in front of you again, one more time, the, the daily Bible readings. That if you give yourself to these daily readings, you'll be able to fill in the gaps more easily from Sunday to Sunday than you, than you could without them. You can find these on the information table or uh, in the FYI. You can find a link to them there as well. If you read these readings, you would, you would have learned some things that are really important to understand Sarah and why she's laughing. First, let's remember last week. Last week, we were in Genesis 2, thinking about creation. In Genesis 2, God holds out life as he intended it. Life in a qualitative way. I, I suggested to you that in that text, life uh, was described as, as, as something that was important as uh, my words are not coming this morning. Sorry about that. Pray for me. Life is all about place. Life is all about purpose. Life is all about partnership. You remember that? That God made it that way, and those things were important. If you would continue on in the Scripture, into Genesis 3, you would see that those three things are lost when people rebelled uh, uh, from God. They lost place cast from the Garden of Eden. They lost purpose. Their purpose was distorted. What are we here for? And they lost partnership, not only with God, but with one another. If you want to understand that, go to the next chapter, and you'll see what happens. Cain and Abel, two brothers. Cain murders his brother. Life has been lost. This, this journey we're on is the story of how God rescues you and me. God rescues humanity. He will do this through His Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. But before we can recognize the Savior, God's Word works to help us recognize our need for salvation. And so the whole Old Testament story does just that. And God selects and uses some particular people to help us recognize all of our need for salvation. Those people are Abram and Sarai, later to be called Abraham and Sarah. There's a really important passage earlier in Genesis. It's Genesis chapter 12. I want to put it in front of you. You know, the whole of Scripture is important, but there are a few key texts that if you're going to know the narrative, you just got to know and keep coming back to. One is the creation account. The other is this one. That this is the first and foundational promise that God gives to people um, as he seeks to enact salvation and call them into covenant with him. Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says this. The Lord had said to Abram, who will be called Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth 
will be blessed through you. Well, I want you to notice in this promise, just as, just as life was lost in Genesis 3, place, purpose, and partnership, God promises its recovery in this passage. Hey, Abram, go to a particular place I will show you. Because I have a purpose for you. I'm going to make you into a kingdom of priests for the world. And make no mistake, I, God, will be your partner in doing this. I will bless you. And if anyone stands against you and curses you, I will curse them. Well, how is God going to do this? This passage also reveals his first step. He says, I will make you into a great nation. Well, how does that happen? How does a, a, ma- a promise to a man and a woman, the promise that I'll make you into a great nation, what, what has to happen first? Come on. Children, right? You have to have a child. And so God gives them this promise. Even though it seemed impossible even in that moment. In Genesis chapter 12, if you read the the scripture carefully, you'll know that Abraham at the time of this promise is already 75 years old. And Sarah herself is 10 years younger, 65, both past childbearing age. And yet they believe God by faith and set out to trust him. Imagine what that's like. Okay, God, we're going to give up everything we know. We're going to take everything with us. We're going to believe you not only for a place and a purpose, but for your partnership and the fulfillment of your promise. We're going to believe you for this family that our heart so desires. And so they wait. And they wait. And they wait. 25 years go by between Genesis 12 and Genesis 18. If you're going to understand Genesis 18, if you're going to be able to identify with Sarah's story, you have to give yourself to feel what she must have been feeling over these two and a half decades. I mean, some of you do know what that feels like. Some of you, having struggled with infertility or or miscarriage, know what it means to desire a child, to work for it, to go to doctors, to do all of that. And month after month after month, year after year after year, come up empty. That's where Sarah is. Even if you haven't gone through that particular challenge, all of us can can identify with the struggle of unfulfilled dreams. You know, two people stand up here and make vows to each other and and envision a life together with all it will mean, and, and then they end up going through divorce. How did we get here? What does this mean? Others of you, when you had children, who then had children... You have grandchildren and you envision what Christmas morning is going to look like or Thanksgiving or all these family times and and something happens. Someone makes a bad decision. 
Someone goes down the wrong path. Now instead of those dreams being fulfilled, it's more pain and conflict and sorrow. They begin to feel desperate. You know how desperate Sarah got? Again, if you've read the Scripture in between, you'll, you'll know this story. In Genesis 16, Sarah gets so desperate. She's been waiting so long waiting for God to fulfill the promise of a son that she goes, well, I don't think it's going to happen with me. And so she goes to her maidservant, this young girl named Hagar, and she says, here, husband, have Hagar. Maybe God will give us a child through her. How desperate do you have to be to do that? That'll give you a sense into to Sarah's state of mind as she listens into the divine promise being given to Abraham. Now, this text is intentionally confusing, I think. Three people, one person is the Lord speaking. Who's, if you look at it closely, you're going, huh? Don't worry too much. Just know this is a divine promise being, being given to Abraham, and Sarah's listening in, and she laughs to herself. Come on. Why did she laugh? Well, disbelief for one, right? We're told, uh, verse, uh, what is that? 12, 13. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I have this pleasure? She's going, look at me. Look at him. Come on, Lord. Really? Pain? Again, 25 years. Resignation. She's given up. You know, sometimes laughter is the only thing we have left when we come to the end of ourself. And yet, it's when we come to the end of ourselves. When no one else can help us, when we are absolutely desperate, friends, that's where the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ begins. Notice God's response to Sarah through Abraham in this passage. Verse 13, why did you laugh? And then the question, verse 14. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I want you to meditate on that with me for a moment. When you hear the question from God, why did you laugh? What is the tone of God's voice in your mind? Again, we just have to imagine. We're not told, right? This is, we're asking the Holy Spirit to, to help us imagine what God's tone of voice might have been. I'll admit to you that at first I heard a tone that I don't think is true of God. When I first read this, I hear a punitive condemning voice. Why did you laugh? I think that reveals a little bit of my uh, belief about God that I'm trying to set aside and say that's not true. Instead, as I 
thought about it, prayed about it, listened for the Holy Spirit, I think God's voice is not punitive and condemning, but more playful and encouraging. Hey, Sarah, why did you laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Let's, let's think about that specific question. I know it's a rhetorical question, but let's make sure we're all on the same page. What's the answer to this question? Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Good. You were much better than the first service, right? Right? No, it's not. The, the, the nature of God is that nothing is too hard. He is all-powerful, omnipotent. If it were not so, he would not be God as as God. It is this understanding that, that enables people to hold up what is one of the most common verses often shared. People share this even when they don't. I don't think they even know it comes from the Bible sometimes. But Philippians 4.13, you know it. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. We say that believing not so much in ourselves, but in him. He can do all things, so if he's in me, then I can do all things through him. But here's the hard thing. Just because God can do all things doesn't mean he always will do all things. And boy, that's tough. That's tough in the moment when you're going through agony, when you've just lost a child, been diagnosed with a disease, when you don't understand why this terrible, unjust thing is happening. Your pastor comes and says, yeah, God can. Does that help? We, we often ask the question, why, in moments like that. I think it's understandable that we ask that question. I don't think God faults us for asking that question. But you know as well as I do, it usually is not an answer. The answer comes not through explanation, but actually through looking at another story. A story we'll skip forward to see where the very same question can't God do all things is asked. It's a story in a garden, not the Garden of Eden this time, but the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a story many of you know. It's a story built on the gospel message, one we want to make sure we understand fully. That gospel message is, is this, that, that God, in the form of his Son, Jesus, took on flesh. And in that, he was fully divine and yet fully human. You need to hold on to that to understand this scene. That Jesus is fully human. He understands all of our pain because he's felt it. He knows all of our temptations because he's faced it. Everything. He's fully human. He comes into the world in response to mankind's rebellion. That thing we talked about in Genesis 3. And 
unlike us, he lives life perfectly in place, in purpose, in partnership, and in every other way. He lives in harmony with the Father, but then dies a torturous death on the cross even so. Why? Why did he do that? Because he knew that the divine penalty for rebellion was death. And so in love, he took that upon himself for all of us. And in addition to that, he lived the perfect life so that when you and I stand before our maker and he says, well, tell me how you lived, we can give him a picture of Jesus' life and not our own. Because that's what's attributed to us. That's the gospel, friends. If we surrender ourselves to him, that means if we trust him, we will not only experience salvation, but the very life God intended for us from the very beginning. It's within this plan that I want you to see Jesus in the garden. Remembering, yes, he's God, but he's fully human. Look at Matthew 26. I'll put it up on the screen here. Jesus said to them, his disciples, as he's going into the garden, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And then in a little while, he prays, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Do you notice the same question? In Genesis 18, we hear, is anything impossible for God? And here again, Jesus is saying, is it possible that this moment, this cup, this sacrifice, can we do it another way? What's the answer? Is it possible for God? Right? In a way... Yes, God has the ability. God can do all things. But it's not possible in accordance with his will. Thank goodness. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Yeah, God could have stopped it, but if he did, we would not have the life that we have now. Makes me wonder about this, this scene and Jesus' place in it. I wonder if Jesus laughed. I, I'm just wondering here. The scripture doesn't tell us, right? But I wonder if he laughed. If, if laughter is what we have when we come to the end of ourselves, I wonder, in the midst of his tears soaked with blood, did he maybe also laugh? I thought about something that probably only the men can identify with, with, uh, with me because women are uh, too smart and don't do stupid things like this. But, you know, sometimes, guys, do you remember that thing, that really dangerous, stupid thing that you were planning with your buddy? For me, it was kind of jumping off of a house, right? You planned this, and you get up there, and you're about to do it, and you look at each other, and go, are we really going to do this and laugh? I kind of wonder, as the Father and the Son, before the creation of the world, enacted this plan, and now here they are at the brink of it, does Jesus 
the son look to the father in prayer and go, are we really going to do this? I don't know. I don't know if he laughed, but I know every ounce of his flesh resisted this moment. And he asked the question, is there any other way? Can you make this cup pass from me? And the father meets Jesus in his sorrow, in his agony, in his doubt. Certainly he doesn't condemn him for the question, even though he knows his son already knows the answer. In the same way, God doesn't condemn Sarah for her laughter. He understands the agony she's been through, the decades of pain, the doubt, the, 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 the questions, all of that, and yet lovingly, playfully says to her, hey, why did you laugh? Some of you are going through some really hard moments. Moments that have caused you to question what you've been taught since childhood. You're doubting. You're wondering. How does God feel about you? He does not speak with condemnation. No, in this we note the one who comes with love and understanding. We cannot know God's will in deep moments of pain, but we can look to the cross, to the one who knelt in the garden and asked the same question, and we can recognize one who knows exactly what we're feeling and loves us, who holds out his son as the very, very fulfillment of the promise. It is in the son Isaac that we see the shadow of the son Jesus. And so let's consider for just a moment how this ends in Genesis 21. Look how that chapter begins. Now the Lord was gracious. That's the basis of our life together, isn't it? That's the basis of our faith. It wasn't that, that Sarah deserved anything, but the Lord was gracious to her. What is grace? Grace is the giving of what we do not deserve. The Lord was gracious with Sarah, even in the midst of her cynical laughter. He fulfills his promise, and her laughter turns from one of cynicism to joy. In great celebration, she gives birth and begins to laugh. I don't know. I think it's the kind of laughter that led to tears. I think it's the kind of laughter that infected everyone who was present. I think it was the kind of laughter that had people doubled over in pain because they could not believe what the Lord had done. Friends, this is the gospel. Genesis 21, 6. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. May this be the nature of our life together as the church, that we walk with one another through deep moments of pain and grief, that we stand with one another at times of doubt and fear and agony, even in moments where we laugh because we can't do anything else. But then in worship, point one another to the promise of our Lord and in Jesus, his Son,
to see our agonizing laughter turned into laughters of joy because we take hold continually of the life we have in him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. Thank you for the way that you worked in Sarah's life. Thank you for identifying with us through her. May you meet us wherever we are, but especially in moments of pain and grief and fear. Would you turn our laughter to joy as we take hold of the life you've given us to live again. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed our First Pres Mommy podcast. Learn more about our church at our website, firstpresmommy.org. Have a great week.